When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is Gayish, the podcast that asks, bro. I'm Kyle Getz, and I'm here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. And as you've already seen, it is me here. Mike is off. His birthday was Monday earlier this week. His birthday is November 14th. If anyone wants to wish him a belated happy birthday, he is also in a different country for work. So all of these things add together to be that Mike is not here. But that doesn't mean I'm alone. That means we have a super special guest co-host today and that is sarah ray hi sarah hey how's it going Uh, great i'm so excited you're here i'm so excited to be playing the role of mike johnson today (laughs) i'm excited to see how much you are like him (laughs) how different you are from him Uh, and if you have an entire segment on history that will last 20 minutes so Um, star trek Star Trek. Okay. Yep. Now we're now we're back. Uh, Sarah is the host of the Sarah Talk podcast and the new Humanist Trek podcast. Uh, she is also the VP of the Humanist Society. She is a humanist celebrant. She is an atheist. She is a, uh, I guess, not so recent anymore, Colorado and friend of the show, uh, more so than maybe anyone that we've had on as a guest before. <laughs> we so, go so way thank back. You. We go way back. We do yeah, yeah. So we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do all the normal things, except I have to pretend that I care about the news. Is basically <laughs> the biggest difference. Okay, today we are talking about unemployment specifically. Sarah, we we are both kind of in a similar spot in in life right now. Yeah, yeah. But we'll we'll come back to that. We have a couple things to do first. Um. So, uh, but first, but first, <laughs> we do have a hundred words in honor of Mike. I'm going to read the email leading up to the hundred words, even though that's the dumbest structure for <laughs> what we set up, set up. And also, thank you to Tesla727 who sent this in because we have been delaying a whole bunch on it. And finally, here it is. Um, So hello, Gayish team. Love the podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts out there for while I do my chores. I'm ADHD and autistic. So having you guys talking in my ears, be it silly or serious, really helps me get through what I need to do. That's very sweet. Thank you. So far, everyone who submitted 100 words had heartfelt and warming pieces. However, I'm in the mood for some harmless chaos. I would like to say I'm sorry, but I'm laughing too much, even typing this, to make that lie work. A hundred words attached, if possible, can Mike first see it at time of recording? Read dramatically from Tesla727. I don't know that we've gotten notes <laughs> on how to how to read the hundred words in the past. I but, can't wait um, to see what chaos this is. <laughs> it's... Okay. Um, so because even though Mike is off, he is doing, he's still doing this dramatic reading. So I'm going to go ahead and play that here. Read dramatically. Lizard. Lizard, 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 lizard. Lizard, 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 
Lizard, lizard, lizard, lizard. Lizard, lizard, lizard. Lizard, lizard, lizard. Lizard, 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 lizard. Halfway done. Lizard. Lizard, lizard, lizard. Lizard, 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 lizard. Lizard, lizard, lizard. Lizard, 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 lizard. Lizard, 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 lizard. Lizard, lizard, lizard. Lizard, lizard, lizard. Lizard. Quote, lizard. Lizard, 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 lizard. Lizard, lizard, quote, lizard, lizard. Lizard, liz, liz, lizard. Lizard. Finn. <laughs> so, so, okay. Thank you for that, I think. I think thank you for those hundred words. Uh, I'm not, you know, we said you can do use use it for anything you want. And you and and you are you did that. You you, you successfully achieved that. Congrats. Uh, if you want to send us hundred words and you have that level benefit at fifteen dollars and up on Patreon, I mean, test the test our test our boundaries, baby. Okay, now on to the news. There's a news theme song that, Shut that your plays mouth here. Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> news. news. Want me to get the guitar? Oh my god. The acoustic version. Shut your mouth hole. It's time for your ear holes. News. 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 Okay. So, news the first. Uh, and I'm really excited you're here for this, Sarah. Uh, we just had in the US our midterm elections. We did. And because we're 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 recording this at a time where at least we know that the Democrats are holding on to the Senate. So before I get into anything more on my side, how are you feeling about the midterm elections and and what happened? I don't feel like I don't feel like I paid as close attention to the election this year as maybe I had planned to or should. Like we've got a lot of stuff going on, you know, in our lives, <laughs> and kids are in school in a brand new school district, and like there's just a lot of things going on. Um, but there were a few things that like really stuck out to me from this particular election. And the first of that is the youth vote. Yeah. Like, so NPR noted that 27% of voters between 18 and 29 cast a ballot this year in the midterm. And that the 2022 is the second highest voter turnout among young voters, uh, voters under 30, at least in the past three decades. And 2018 was the highest. So like we're, it seems like if I'm trying to find hope in in this mess, it seems like we're trending towards the youth being much more engaged in politics. And that's a thing that like the youth of everything is is a thing that we're all trying to figure out. Like if you run any kind of political thing or a nonprofit or a community organization, like we all sit around in rooms and talk about how do we get young people more involved in the X, you know, <laughs> which is funny as a Gen Xer, you know, coming from the we did absolutely nothing with our <laughs> with my youth. We listened to Green Day and got high. And that's that was our involvement. Um, I, but OK, I think if everyone just listened to Green Day and got high for a bit, like life would be, you know, would be what? a better place. Yeah, I absolutely. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we like we I remember I'm a millennial. I'm an elder millennial, which I recently learned was a thing. Um because they were like, "Oh, thanks, you know, Gen Z and millennials under 30." And I was like, oh, "I almost made the thanks, but then I didn't." And I was like, "I should 
I should make the cut for the youth vote. I'm 36. That's fine. And I've accepted that I'm no longer the youth. And, you know, I'm over it, clearly. Um, But we, I think we had the, like, big MTV campaigns of, like, get out the vote. And, like, P. Diddy did a PSA or something of, like, we, so I think... I think I don't I think we were trying to be what Gen Z is now. I think they we were trying to be get the push to participate in the way that Gen Z is. So and even with that though, still it's only twenty seven percent. Right? Like that's still not a great number to be we shouldn't be proud of that. Twenty seven percent is not enough. Yeah. It's uh, it's that and the the reason I believe behind it or what, you know, Gen Z is talking a lot about is this is the generation that had to go through active shooter drills or have mm-hmm. been in active shooter situations like yeah. that being an instigator to go vote. It sucks that that would be one of the big catalysts for it. So there's a lot of shitty things happening, even That's though we, we, we're trying to celebrate the Gen Z vote. <laughs> Something else to celebrate is there was not a red wave uh, as expected. Yeah. Uh, I saw a bunch of people saying, like, we need to learn how to poll people that's not calling them on the fucking phone. <laughs> like, um, right. Right. Because I, first of all, I don't have a home phone. Right. So if you're sourcing nope. numbers that way, you're going to get the octogenarian audience that you're, <laughs> you're going to get. And yeah. um, if you call me on my cell phone, I'm not going to answer it. No fucking way. I, like that That to me, I was like, if you think that's a you thing, then you haven't been paying attention mm-hmm. for a very, it's just now impacting your numbers enough that you're rethinking it. Like I have not answered my phone for decades. <laughs> I trust like YouGov polling. I don't know if you're familiar with YouGov. You can download no. this app on your phone and um, participate in some of the polling that they do. And some of them are paid and some of them aren't. You know, you can make like five cents for filling out a survey or whatever. Um, but when you look at those in the news articles and look at the source for a lot of their data, YouGov comes up in a lot of that. So I feel like I'm I'm getting my voice out a little bit in some of that polling when I use that app instead of like there there are some that are that have figured out here's how we reach the people and it's not calling them on the phone. It's it's here's an app you can sign up for. It's also interesting that part of using your voice, uh, we know that voting is not the only way, nor should it be, but it's interesting polls in prediction of how voting is going to happen that's a different way you can use your voice is by voting on those yeah. things so that's a weird i didn't even think about that as an option to like when people see like a crushing red wave is going to hit us it kind of makes you feel defeated and you might not vote because you think it's just a done deal and yeah. it clearly wasn't right and, and like just broadly the midterms and the way they tend to go right usually the minority party cleans up in the in the midterms they attack whatever the majority party president and Congress have been doing. And, and that usually swells them up. And we just we didn't have that this year. And I think there's a lot of factors at play. But one of the big ones is like if you look at. Some of the candidates who didn't do well, a lot of them were like election denier Jan six Trumpers. Yeah. And they a lot of them won. Yes, like many did. But it seemed like the Trump endorsement didn't pay off positively in a lot of races like one might have expected. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We are no longer or they are no longer fawning over him and everything he says is gospel and will will do it no matter what or how crazy. So one of the um, most delicious losses for me, though, was that dickbag fuckface Dr. Oz. Yes. So glad he lost. But even then, it was like a five point margin, like. Oh my god, it was way too close to 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 like rest easy and be like, "Ooh, we've done right? it." But I, I was so glad about that one. Absolutely. 
another major takeaway that we are seeing from this midwave is as the the victory fund which is a pack dedicated to getting openly lgbtq officials elected in the u.s uh, they noted that at least 436 lgbtq candidates won which is a hundred more than 2020 that's amazing so that's a, such amazing. a big number like with all this going on, I mean, I, I even think of uh, I've been thinking about school boards recently because of book bans and, mm-hmm. and schools becoming a target for anti LGBT speech, people hate. Um, but uh, getting people voted voted in across the country, LGBTQ people voted in across the country is just such a huge way to make a change. Um, there are so many firsts that the one I'll just read a few. Uh, we had our first lesbian governor elected, which ended up being two, our two first lesbian uh, governors elected because we, we ended up getting two at the same time. Um, we had the first trans man elected to a state legislature. We had our first openly gay immigrant that was elected. So among this big sea of LGBTQ people, also a lot of firsts are coming along along with that. So that's something else that we can n- not necessarily rest easy, but and en- enjoy and appreciate that there was what the Victory Fund called a, a rainbow wave. Absolutely. All yeah. right. New- let, let me finish on this thought, though. Please. And that is, while we're... I'm the uh, pessimist of the group. And while <laughs> while we're celebrating our wins, right, like... Slavery was on the ballot in five states and one in four. And the fifth one was kind of a sketchy reason why they they kicked that down. But um, so like that's another victory to to talk about. There were a lot of great things. But at the end of it all, I still kind of walked away going like it's hard to find hope still, Hmm. even with all of those wins. Like there is no question we are a nation divided on many different lines. And like my mom always says, it'll probably get worse before it gets better. Hmm. So I think there's a lot of like good positives to take away from the midterms. But also, I don't think that's like the bell cry for great things are coming. I think we still have to be cautious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on to news the second, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fuck. I didn't practice this name. Uh, This is (laughs) well. Do you, you expect it now at this point? So sorry, everyone. Um, the Masa Amini protests that are going on right now in Iran. This is something that I've just been personally paying close attention to. And because I'm running the news, I get to fucking talk about it. Um, it's not inherently gay, but I think um, h- human rights, human liberation, uh, women's rights, uh, all of that ties very closely into LGBT rights. And if you don't see the connection, I would urge you to to look more into the history of where our oppression comes from. So that's that's the connection. But uh, the the background is back in September, 22 year old uh, Masa Amini was arrested for not following hijab laws. Uh, police beat her and as everything you know is couching their bets but i don't have to because no one gives a fuck about this podcast so i could just say (laughs) basically it is presumed like the police killed her which they deny um that sparked the protests uh since then women uh have been protesting uh, the mandatory hijab laws and of course it's gotten bigger than that protesting some of the I, i forget what they're called just like there are certain ways you're supposed to act and behave, but basically the government is telling you exactly what you can, um, um, morality laws that are there. So it has become a big movement for women's rights. And I just don't, 
I, I feel like I have to seek out information on this rather than it always being front and center, especially now that it's, you know, it's been a couple months and there's fatigue there. For so sure. it's part of the reason I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, there is something to, I think, in the West to really be paying attention to here. And that is like, you know, one of the things that I'm always engaged in something related to the separation of church and state. And like, these are great examples of here's what happens when we let religion and government commingle crazy shit like this, like these ridiculous morality laws get put into place and, uh, you know, harm people, take people's rights away. And there is a movement in our country to, you know, install Christian nationalism. And don't be surprised if you start seeing some of that same kind of stuff happening if we allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You were, before we started, you were talking about if, if you look yourself up, one of the first things was what, <laughs> what did you read? Yeah. If you Google me, there's uh, most of what comes up is like atheist activism. Right. And so one yeah, of them was yeah. I gave a, uh, there was a city commission in Florida that allowed a Christian pastors to give a prayer before their meetings, right. To deliver an invocation. But like, 99 times out of 100, those invocations, or even 100 out of 100, those invocations were a Christian preacher. And so I tested their policies uh, on equality <laughs> and signed up to give a, an invocation. And the, you know, the people, the people in the office handling that request knew that they couldn't deny this to me, that that would mm -hmm. be very bad for them legally. So they had mm -hmm. to let me do it. Uh, and then... <laughs> As like I came and gave an invocation and a secular invocation is very much like you were all elected to do this job for whatever special, you know, skills and knowledge that you have. Let's come together and put aside our differences and get to doing the work of governing the people. Right. That's that is basically a secular oh, offense. invocation. That's offensive. That's that's mean and offensive, Sarah. <laughs> Was it two or three of them got up and walked out during my invocation? One of them left a Bible on the dais in protest. It was great. Oh, so that's the kind of stuff you find when you start Googling me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think one of the reasons to note that is I think we can, with our xenophobic attitudes in the US, look at other countries and say, Nev, oh, that's just that mm -hmm. Iran. That's just them. Th that could never happen to us. And it's like, shit like that does happen. You know, we, they, yeah. like I, I, I want to talk about how we are unfortunately connected and related in these struggles together. So recent uh, goings on for these protests, the protests have continued. They have arrested 14,000 protesters so far. There have been hundreds of protesters killed by the authorities. Uh, of course, they would, would give you different numbers, but, you know, international rights groups and watchdog groups have, mm -hmm. have said that there are probably hundreds of or no, there are hundreds of people that have been killed. Um, the fear is that of those with those 14,000 protesters, that they will be executed uh, for violating some of these vague like morality laws or hijab laws or what have you. Amnesty International put together a petition that is now closed, but had a million signatures to call for an investigation into these. Um, and just one action item, if you want to stay uh, involved or learn more. I like the Instagram handle at Middle East Matters uh, that has been covering this protest and, and does also cover other things. Some of the other accounts that have been recommended are very graphic and violent. So there are uh, others that 
are, are useful, but that one, that that's a good kind of way to, to get in and, and at least start following this. Yeah. Last news story is actually an update. Oh fuck. News. The last, I don't know how much I want to be Mike. I'm sure tr- I'm trying to replicate his, <laughs> I'm stealing his new segment and trying to replicate it, but I, okay. News. The last I'm Mike. This is all fun. I love talking about the news. Um, this is an update on Brittany Griner. So um, we've given, I think, maybe a, a couple updates or so by by now. But another major development, just quick update. She's a WNBA player and an Olympic gold medalist who was earlier this year detained by in Russians uh, by Russian customs for cartridges with less than a gram of cannabis oil. That was apparently offensive enough that she was sentenced to nine years in prison. The update, she is being transferred to a prison camp or also known as a penal colony, which is what you might hear uh, people refer to it in the news. Uh, At this point, I don't know what, you know, it might actually, by the time this comes out, we may know more, but it is unknown where she's going. People are not like her family or lawyers are not told until they arrive in the penal colony. And apparently penal colonies have pretty grim conditions. Um, You're shaking your head, Sarah, if you... Have you seen or read much about like, I've what read the situation? That, yeah, I've read that a lot of them are like former gulags from Soviet era, and they, they're like falling apart, and they crowd a bunch of people in there. And it, like, it's just, the, the conditions are just terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, before now, before this point, she's been in a pretrial detention center in Moscow. So that's uh, why she now that she's been sentenced is, is being moved. And uh, just uh, earlier this month, uh, one action item that I wanted to share um, is that her wife, uh, Sherelle Greiner, uh, encouraged people to write letters to her. I think, again, just like the, the Iranian protests after a couple months of being in the news, it kind of stops making front page news. So um, the the fear is that uh, I think she might have said that Brittany Griner thinks people have just kind of forgotten about her. Uh-huh. You can actually write a letter and send to her and uh, you can go to we are BG as in her initials, Brittany Griner, we are BG.org and you can write a letter. And that given that was the call from her wife, from her, her own family, that this is something that would be useful. I think, remind it sounds like such a little thing in the context of what's going on but reminding her that we haven't forgotten about you we're thinking about you we know this is still a fucked up situation or i don't know you say whatever you i I won't tell you how to write your letter you do that god damn people do your own um so you can go there find out how to write a letter and find out you know if there are any other actions you want to take yeah it's heartbreaking to think of being in that position just this is something i think about and i just i could not i just I'd be like, this one tiny thing I did has fucked me over in so many. It 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 is a nothing charge. It means nothing. It was yeah. I don't know. I can't get over just the the oh the, like this is scary. Like it's scary and horrible for sure. Well, that's the news, <laughs> Mike. Now I see why Mike tries to end on a happy one because I don't know. We we don't have to be happy all the time. We can just be blah. Um. People who are not bleh are the following Patreon members. Peter Altier. That's probably Peter Altier. I'm going to guess. Nailed it. Um, Nailed it. (laughs) Going to get this one. Matt. Well done. Appreciate you, Matt. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, sorry. There are two T's. Mattata. Thank you, Mattata. Logan Cheshire and the only Sean. That's got it. It's not Sean. Not Sean. 
Sean. Shaun. What? Sean. What? S-H-A-U-N. That's just Sean still, right? Yeah. We still do Sean for that. The only Sean. All one word if that makes a difference to you. Uh, thank you so much to our Patreon members. If you want me to take a swing at your name uh, or make up a name that then I have to try for, that's my version of the hundred words is make me try to say your name. Uh, go to patreon.com slash gayishpodcast. All right. Do you, Sarah, want to talk about unemployment? I do want to talk about unemployment. And since I'm playing the role of Mike today, I'd like to talk uh-huh. to you about the history of unemployment. <laughs> if you do, I you might be hosting this because I might leave. <laughs> well, it turns out there's not a lot of recorded history about unemployment as like a condition of being. So what I started with was... Sort My of, God, are you... Wait, you're serious? Are yeah, you really... Of course I have a history of unemployment. <laughs> So what I started with was the history of employment, and then I kind of extrapolated out from there, right? So, oh my god! <laughs> sure, I, I, wow. Okay, sure. I'm yeah. nailing this interview. Okay, so I know. Sorry, I'm. All, I'm I need to. Get, I need to like. Uh, oh, this, I'm not. I need to go along with you, and I'm and I'm happy to. I just. I didn't. This is not. I didn't expect this. Okay, I love surprising uh, you. There you go. Yeah. It, wow, it worked. I so, okay. Uh, so. so essentially, as like as a society grows and starts to organize, then these systems of power grow from it. Uh, organized work being one of them, right? So think of like small collaborative tribal sort of structure, right? Where the group is so small, everybody has a role to play, and they're like basic things like gathering, hunting food, tending to children, uh, creating shelter, like the necessities of life, right? Uh, but also, and I hope I'm not romanticizing this too much, individuals in those smaller groups also seem to be valued on more than just what they can produce. Hmm. But that seems like a key that we need to hold on to that uh, idea and I see feel like if we and... need to come back to that. How do we? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. when those societies start to grow and get bigger and spread out in territory, that's when you really start to see like divisions in age and gender and skill and class. So as those systems scale up, workers become a commodity and are a market of their own. And then from like the basic life-sustaining work tasks, like finding food and creating shelter, through the Industrial Revolution, through into the Information Age, work continues to get more and more specialized. And simply not everyone is going to fit into one of those specialized things. There's part of what you're describing that seems valuable of us understanding we each have different skills that we divide up and start, you know, specializing in our things. Right. But also but also the way you're describing it, it seems like it also goes hand in hand with then you mentioned the commodification of workers. Like, right. I, yeah, and, I, I, do those things just go hand in hand? And what do we do with the generalists who don't snap right. into the specialized jobs? And I'm right. I'm foreshadowing here because this is a, lo- <laughs> a lot of my story is wrapped into this. But so so then there's a connected history of unemployment as like a kind of welfare benefit. So we know that those structures existed in ancient Egypt and we have English laws going back to the 1500s, creating public works programs and punishments for the willfully unemployed. Pause there because we want to draw the attention to like at least they had a little bit of compassion to exclude people who couldn't work for whatever reason, right? Mm. And targeted those who were quote-unquote able-bodied and able to work, but for some reason were not working. Mm. In the U.S., we probably think of things like World War I, the Great Depression, and the New Deal. 
job-creating programs from the New Deal. When we think about labor and shortages and unemployment levels, I think America kind of goes, that's where we think of. And I think it's interesting to look at that approach because like, while inarguably it did a lot of good, it further entrenched our belief that welfare, and by that I mean like the well-being of citizens, has to be tied into what they can produce. Hmm. Ah, capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why I like ideas like universal basic income so much, because it separates away the how many widgets can you make from your value. And, and it values us all as people that we're, we're all humans and we all exist in this space and time. And for that, we should have value for each other regardless of how many widgets you can make. Yeah. I'm I'm blown away that you mentioned even back to the 1500s that there was some kind of, you know, collective we need to support people who don't have jobs and that sounds like a nice way of framing like but it's based on productivity we all need to get together to to like mm-hmm. make sure those people um, either, either are, are punished for it or are able to at least survive for a little bit. That's why I didn't yeah. I didn't expect this concept to be have been around for so long. Yeah. Well, and then here in the States, right, we have this deep-rooted negative view of the unemployed, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we just idolize hard work so much as an ideal to strive for, and it's just, it's horseshit as far as I'm (laughs) concerned. Like, it's just stupid. But, so anyway, I I, I think what I would take from that is, you know, as we talk about unemployment, it's easy to talk about it like a monolith, but we want to think about how people who are unemployed further breaks down into things like people who want to work but can't for whatever reason and people who want to work but they can't find a job in their field or people who want to create and give to society in a way that's different from the capitalist job machine. Wow. I'm like, I'm blown away by both the content and that you did this uh, uh at all it's so the one thing i prepared for today so i enjoy i'm okay okay this we're we're going downhill well then i have i have to do my segment so we're going downhill this is like um julia louis dreyfus in in veep where i'm like oh my vp pick was so good i did this i everything you say i did it because i picked no um i i uh, the 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 last part where you mentioned people that create things or work mm-hmm. in a way that is not valued with with in this society i i think back to in the past artists a lot of the famous artists that we have and put their plat, put their work on literal pedestals are people who were supported by by patrons that like an entire family would be like, we have so much fucking money. We're going to give to artists because so that they can create. And yeah. I don't know if I'm just romanticizing that concept that they did. And, and maybe it's harder than I imagined, but I just thought that even like when you think about philosophers, they look back, like there's no way that made fucking money in right. the, in our sense of the, like we do, do we have philosophers say like, you have to be an academic and figure out other ways mm-hmm. to do things and contribute. And so uh, to me, I, I remember learning about all these, these types of, I, not, I don't, I even hate calling it a profession, but like uh, all these types of people that did this stuff that we look back and value and, and teach in history. But I don't know that you can be just a philosopher today. Right. Like, well, think about raising kids, right? There's a there's a thing that should be a job that comes with an income. 
I mean, we're talking about people who are literally raising like the next generation of people. And yeah. what have, what have we done? We have over time created a system where a single income household isn't going to cut it anymore, right? Both mm-hmm. ostensibly we're talking there's, you know, two parents or two adults or whatever that have to go out to make an income and we're relying more on organized school and childcare systems than we are like the family structure and like lots of things have changed in a short amount of time with the way America and the workforce kind of work together and not mm. in the best of ways I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting cuz that 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 also part of the root of that there is value in and progress in women's movement of we deserve to work if we want how we want and that's that's hugely valuable but also that has contributed to exactly what you're describing so it's like you can you can seek a thing that then has unintended repercussions and i I don't know that we could have looked back and been like i you what would you do say no women don't fight for the this right like you know like what do you what else are you gonna do like i think i think the lesson to take from that is when we are in those moments now we we should be looking back to that and going okay how are the oligarchs and the you know the the oil barons going to use this against us mm. in the way that <laughs> they used women entering the workforce in a way that changed our economy that then required them to stay and yeah. and quote both parents work in the workforce yeah yeah i uh, maybe should have uh, started with some kind of like i I think based on just what I've seen in both our conversations, your podcast, things you've posted on Facebook, I think we are in a similar place in terms of just either unemployment or beliefs. And so Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people out there who, especially because of a lot of our audiences in the US, this is a good example of like, you have deep seated beliefs that even if you don't agree with what you're saying, just... I I would encourage you to just be open to what of your beliefs are based on an inherent truth about life Mm -hmm. and what is based on this is what I was trained to do. Because I think we're going to have conversations that for some people, they're just going to be like, absolutely not. These are dumb idiots who are too liberal to know (laughs) what's actually happening. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not, I don't want, I'm not trying to say you have to believe all of this. I I just want you to open up and, and, and maybe at least reflect on it. I, I was a business major. I did that because I think I knew that that would help me make money. I uh, graduated and then started working for. Ooh, I don't know if I should bleep that out because <laughs> that is important. I worked for a major tech company here in Seattle. Um, my belief was that the invisible hand of the market should guide things that the market would regulate help regulate that just that just kind of trusting the market boy i was i was that was also when i was a republican so i have i am not coming to this saying that uh, i uh, that i have always believed these things this is something that i have i've been on probably the side of someone that if i were listening to myself you know even 10 years ago i would be like that's a dumb dumb idiot that doesn't know anything about economics so i don't know about you but like these those ideas were things that I, I was raised with, right? I grew yeah. up hearing that kind of stuff, like the free market will even itself out and, you know, everything's just going to be hunky-dory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, and, but what I did at least learn 
in economics class that played a role in my deconstruction of that idea in the real world is that the free market, when you learn that in, in, in an economics class, that is devoid of so many, that is in a vacuum, mm-hmm. the market will handle things. So you have to remember all the things that like that we cannot exist in that vacuum. And if you're expecting that to work in the real world, in our world, in a world where we have other, so many other factors at play, like that's just not how it works. Right. So, um, yeah, that's the economic okay. philosophy of it. That's not the, exactly. That's not the reality of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I do want to talk a little bit about some gata, <laughs> um, and part of this is what I I want to talk about LGBTQ people and employment because there are a lot of challenges out there. I'm going to talk about some of my personal challenges, some of my beliefs. I, I also want to acknowledge that in talking about unemployment, I have a lot of privilege in the un, in being unemployed. Even I have enough money to live and I am, am still comfortable enough um, in my unemployment that uh, uh, not. So we're talking about a very specific, at least for me, a very specific privileged place that, that my unemployment is coming from. And that is not representative of everyone, especially LGBTQ people's challenges with unemployment. So I want to talk a little bit more about that piece. Yeah. So this is from Investopedia, an article by Daniel Thomas Mollenkamp, who pulled in, seemed to pull in several different studies in kind of assessing the current state of employment with LGBTQ people. There is an LGBTQ pay gap that is not too surprising to me, uh, but it did outline the wage hierarchy as they called it, um, which I, in terms of like who makes the most money. So it goes heterosexual men receive the most pay. Hi, surprise. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Then, then gay men, then lesbian women. Really? Um, Yeah. In what they described as the lesbian wage premium. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that. Uh, then the the then heterosexual women, and then bisexuals. Bisexuals make less than gay or straight people, wow. um, and that's uh, we uh, we talked a little bit about that on the last episode about hairdressers. But that is a thing that I I did not realize and understand uh, that bi- bisexuals just time and time again have this unique challenge of discrimination, and and this is one of these ways that I'm I'm seeing it show up. Yeah, it's really weird. Like I would think of in terms of like the gender gap driving, you know, a lot of those differences. That's something that we know very well. So it's interesting to see how that breaks down with sexuality mixed in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, you scoffed at the lesbian wage premium. <laughs> I just never heard that before. I think that's a fantastic <laughs> phrase. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's uh, agreed. Uh, to me, I, I'm also like that helps inform where is this coming from, and it's coming from a place of we, uh, boy, I don't know. I'm bringing in the stereotypes of what it means to be a lesbian, but right. we we reward anything that appears masculine. To me, that like the patriarchy is is really driving who makes the most money here, right? And how much of that is also affected by you know, what jobs you're allowed to have. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Williams Institute survey uh, has said that 16% of LGBTQ, no, sorry, not trans, trans separate. So LGBTQ people uh, have lost a job because of discrimination. So discrimination 
plays a role in uh, uh, like uh, that study or, or a lot of studies are, are trying to compare the wage gap studies are trying to say, okay, given equal education, employment, industry, all that stuff, given everything, everything else equal, what is the pay difference? And that's useful to know. It's also used to know things aren't actually equal. So let's pretend we are in the real world that we exist in. What's the inequality? So uh, it is important to know that one of the causes that, that builds on that then is 16% of people have lost their job because of discrimination. Trans people uh, experience lower employment, higher rates of harassment. Oh, high rate. It didn't even say higher rates. It just said high. So it's like comparison. Sure. Higher rates, but high rates of harassment, high rates of unemployment, a couple different studies, the SF LGBT Center in San Francisco and the Williams Institute both found that around 50% of people uh, said they were unfairly fired or denied employment for being trans. So uh, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about your personal experiences with interviewing and employment, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll put a butt plug in that real quick. As a, <laughs> I, I also feel like I haven't experienced a ton of harassment mm-hmm. in the workplace or out of the workplace. And I don't know if how much of that is, and I lived in a really red rural area in Florida and I expected mm-hmm. it there, you know? Yeah, so yeah. like, I do recognize that that like you said in your unemployment i have a lot of privilege in the workplace in 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 the experiences that i've had at least even and we'll come back to this but even even in interviewing i feel like i, I hear so many stories from my trans friends about th- these terrible experiences that they have and and i don't have them to near the degree that i hear a lot of people in the community having them and like on one hand i there's a guilt that comes with that. Like on one hand, I'm like, thank God it wasn't me. Like I'm, I'm doing okay here, but also there's so much out there that shouldn't be happening. And I don't want it to be happening to my trans siblings either. Yeah. That's, is there, is that like a survivor's guilt kind of maybe, thing? Yeah, uh, maybe that's yeah. it. it it's interesting because th- that's the thing about those statistics, like 50% of experience discrimination. Well, that means 50% haven't. And to set up people for expecting that kind of discrimination, there is still a burden that is being placed on you that regardless of whether it actually happens, it's like, man, you know, this is a very real tangible chance. Uh, surely that contributes to, uh, well, I guess I'll let you, you say if that, like that has to be a challenging situation to face whether it comes to fruition or not. For sure. Well, and hearing about it so much in the community puts that in your brain too, right? Like, so anytime you go into one of these situations, despite the fact that I I feel and see and acknowledge my own privilege and I haven't had issues like this before, you still walk into every situation feeling like, oh God, this is going to go, <laughs> this is going to go sideways. And am I ready for that? And then, God. but I'm also, again, I'm the, I'm the perpetual ne- negative, negative, uh, <laughs> negative Nancy. Like I, I have all those fears in my mind everywhere I go. Like I worry about stuff that yeah. the anxiety is just so high. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and I wonder how much of those go hand in hand, the anxiety that has been forced upon you for sure, not me interviews in general and just worried about how you will be treated yeah, yeah, causes just generalized anxiety beyond that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been through like several different transitions uh, in <laughs> like the, you know, in the workplace. Like I, I was 
at a company when I came out and said, hey, I'm going to transition. Like, you guys need to figure out how to talk about this to the staff because they're going <laughs> to need to know. Um, yeah. And then I left that job and we moved across the country and I started a new job. And I was, you know, going through that whole experience of being in a new place and meeting new people and starting a new job and uh, that I eventually quit because it sucked. And that's why I'm unemployed. <laughs> But, but yeah, every step of the way, there is that like, oh God, how are people going to react to just the simpleness of me being trans? Yeah. 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 Um, so data, more data, all of this, uh, will further be compounded. So things like pay gap or discrimination will be compounded by intersection, intersecting identities like race and ethnicity, COVID definitely made things worse uh, and it, particularly LGBTQ um, people of color and trans people. It was particularly challenging for those parts of our community. Unfortunately, the government doesn't have sexual orientation or gender identity measures when they do um, their, their reviews of COVID-19 or, or surveys. So we don't know. We have to rely on outside surveys or outside studies or uh, you know, just uh, individual people just expressing some of these things. So there is a general need just for our, our government to measure, to acknowledge and measure our experiences. The last thing I'll mention, not necessarily data, but, but related to all this is I did not realize in 2020, there was a Supreme court case, Bostock versus Clayton County. Mm. And that, uh, said that, our, our Title VII non-discrimination, which those laws protect things like uh, sex, race, discrimination, it, it said that the sex discrimination that is already included in Title VII does apply, does mean that we are protected based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So there was a Supreme Court case that said, no, you are federally protected in, in employment. I feel like there was a call to a previous case, a citation uh, there was a school teacher in Indiana that uh, was ultimately fired or chased out of her job. Uh, but it all started when, like, her wife dropped her off or her girlfriend or whoever dropped her off and they kissed in the parking lot at the school. <laughs> and, you know, everybody clutched their pearls and got their panties in a bunch. And so, well, we just can't have that. Uh, and so, like, job opportunities that should have probably come her way were denied to her, and she started being treated differently. And I, I wish I could remember the, 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 that case because that was one of the holdings that came from that was, like, you would have, or one of the arguments, at least, was that if my husband had dropped me off and kissed me goodbye, have a great day at work, honey, you wouldn't have a problem with it. But because of sex... Because of the sex of the person, you have a problem with it. So it had nothing to do with, it, it did have to do with sexual orientation, but their argument was because our civil rights laws don't have sexual orientation and gender identity written into them at the national level, the argument was it's discrimination based on sex because this was a woman. If it had, yeah. had it been a man, it would have been fine. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I, I, I thought like, oh, okay, we've been fighting for the Equality Act, maybe like got one. I mean, there's plenty more in the Equality Act that would help ensure things like housing um, or or provi- getting provided service, goods and services just in general. So there's lots that needs to happen regardless. But exactly like the, the point that you're making is like, well, these days we don't know what kind of Supreme Court decisions get to be held up and what doesn't. So that's not a guarantee. But also, yeah, it is based on it makes it, the logic makes absolute absolute sense to me, but it is not codified that sexual orientation right. or gender identity are like written in there real clear. So, and if the yeah. argument is that well, the framers didn't write sexual orientation and gender identity, so it doesn't count. Cool story, bro. Let's go write it then. Like, and <laughs> yeah. Do, and do you know? And do you know what we need to in order to be able to do that? Lots more seats in Congress. So mm, vote. Damn it. Back to the beginning. That. Back to the beginning. God, what a good connection. I wish we stopped there. No, I don't wish we stopped there. But <laughs> we have so much more uh, to talk about. We have so much more to talk about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I I have gotten so annoyed at like whatever the fucking framers of the Constitution oh, or the founding I don't fathers. Care. Like, Mm-mm. I don't. I I don't care. Well, okay. One, I don't care. Two, if you're someone who cares, I, I believe their intention was it's like every 18 years or something. Their intention was that a government needs to refigure its shit out like yeah. very often. Like the if you care about their intention, their intention was not this. <laughs> right for sure. But then if you look at like what are the processes to you know add an amendment like the number of states that have to come together and say yes and that that whole process wasn't a very achievable or i don't know what the word is but it, it, it they didn't the foresight that they had on a lot of things did not extend to that one particular thing i don't think yeah yeah the bar- <laughs> barrier uh, is so high and the idea of everyone coming together behind these ideas is like those two pieces like we are not in a place where that's happening oh bless your hearts you really thought it's yeah, yeah. gonna go well huh <laughs> yeah yep the last data point that we will then uh, move back over to t- talking more about your experiences sarah uh trans people that the, the day i i seem to find a consistently in terms of unemployment specifically trans people tend to have three two to three times the unemployment rates of non lgbtq people so i think gay people had said the numbers didn't add up to me uh, totally so uh, it said that they were the double double the around double the average looked to me more like uh, one and a half times and i don't Mm. totally get it so but things consistently reported lgbt or trans people having two to three times the unemployment so i can see things like because being trans for a lot of us is not something that we can hide Right. It's not something that I can put on my straight hat and just don't talk about my, you know, my relationships or whatever at work and and kind of, you know, go under the radar and not be out in that environment. I am who I am. And I walk in the door and there is no one that goes. Nope, that's a cis person. Like everybody (laughs) knows I'm a trans person walking in the door and like on a lot of levels, I'm okay with that. Right. Again, like trying to use the privilege that I do have to go into those spaces and be like, you're going to reckon with us and who we are. And if I'm the one that has to sit here and do it, cool. Um, But also, yeah, sure. There are times that I would just like to, you know, it's that passing privilege and all that bullshit of like, I just want to exist in the world without having to be an activist for my thing. Like, I don't know, it's tough. 
So much of uh, people will will call someone an activist is like, are they an activist? Are they working towards that? Or are they being an activist? Or are they being themselves in public? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. they, may, they might not want to be an activist. They might not want to be the person trying to revolutionize this thing. Maybe they're just trying to exist and you think that their existence means they're activists. Yeah. Yeah. So would you, I would consider you an activist because of the work that you do to help, especially in the right. humanist atheist communities. Do you call yourself an activist yeah. or would you? Yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. I mean, I've been on hold the last, you know, year and a half or two because of moving and whatnot, but like, I'm excited to get into that again because it is something that I'm passionate about. And, and that ties into my employment journey in a way that yeah. like, so my goal if you were to like, Sarah, what position, you know, what would you want to be doing with your life? Um, I want to be engaged with a uh, a free thought, humanist, atheist, whatever church state separation organization that's that's working on those issues. Uh, I feel like where my bread and butter is, is like on the ground community organizing, helping hmm. communities come together in local areas. Um and then all of the techie stuff that I do, right? Like, there's no reason why American Atheists or the American Humanist Association shouldn't have their own media, you know, conglomeration, podcasts and YouTube shows and all of that stuff. And and that's... Is a, that something that they're behind on? Like, yeah. do they not have? Uh... Yeah. American Atheists used to have a YouTube show, like, back when YouTube was new. And, uh, <laughs> and it fizzled out for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of new media that, that there are a lot of podcasts and YouTube shows and such in the movement, in the community, but the national organizations don't seem to all be a part of that. And so that's hmm. something I would like to, you know, get my hands into and get involved with too. Here's the thing. These organizations run on like 13 employees. Right. Like it's not when you think, oh, American Atheists, uh, American Humanist Association. Nah, man, it's a nonprofit. Like they don't have a huge staff. And so like I'm trying to get myself in the door to these organizations in a way that I can continue doing the activist work that I enjoy and love and feel like I'm making a difference in the world, but also be able to pay the bills and eat food, which is kind yeah. of an important thing. And so <laughs> it's what I what I found was. You know, when last we spoke, I think I was working third shift uh, at Disney's government, the Reedy Creek Improvement District, and trying to be like a day person while you're working overnight and trying to even just trying to do the things while you're holding down a full time job. It really does not leave you the amount of time that I think many of us want to do the things we care about. Right. We're working because we have to. We're, we're working because that's what pays the bills. But then there are these other things that are passion projects or things that we're interested in that we we don't get to put our whole selves into because of the time commitment or the lack of resources or whatever it is. So I'm just trying to find a way to, you know, they tell you, do the thing you love and you'll never work a day in your life trying to do that. Yeah. Till, but till you get to that, point, like you, you do yeah. have to work otherwise to get to that. Like, right. yeah. So there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of components in my personal, like being unemployed journey. So when we first moved, we moved from Florida to Colorado, like a year and a half ago. Uh, that, okay. I know this is not what this is about, but can we take a brief sidestep? Of course. To, uh, to <laughs> you left Florida. Well, I mean, if people don't Have know, you, you were in Florida. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. you, did did you leave because of the political and and shittiness, or was that just a good benefit that you got <laughs> to leave there? It was part of it. So okay, uh, when I was a kid, my parents brought me out to Colorado, and we did all the touristy things, and I just I fell in love. And then when uh when our kids got to be a little older, this was like 2017, I think. Then I brought my wife and kids out here and we did like recreated my childhood vacation <laughs> for them and they all fell in love. And so we all had this kind of like, well, one of these days we'll, you know, we'll move west. And, you know, uh, Washington, Oregon, Colorado were kind of the top three we were on the looking at. And then this was like, you know, mid covid uh, Governor DeSantis decided that schools could not require kids to wear masks. <laughs> However, it's time to send your kids back to school now. And so we this was the thing that was holding us to Florida. We loved the school that our kids were in. It was a like an arts magnet choice school. You had to go into a lottery to you know get your kid into really great school, really great teachers. And we we didn't want to lose that. And also like I didn't want my kids to have to go through that move across the country. You're the new kid. Kids are dicks. They bully each other. Like, I didn't want them to have to go through that because they had good friends back in Florida. We didn't want to lose all that. But when the governor was like, yeah, so um, no mask. You can't force kids to wear masks. We were like, cool. Uh, you know, it's still spiking, right? The pandemic yeah. isn't over, you know? Yeah. God, you're bringing me back to like, oh, my God, the idea of you can't force them. Yeah. I don't know. Just just this revolt against the the best thing to do for your health is yeah. it was gross. I mean, it's still, it's disgusting. So our solution was, well, I guess I'm not sending my kids back to that school then. Yeah. So we unenrolled them and put them in Florida virtual and did that for a little while. And then, you know, we got to the point where we're like, why are we still here? <laughs> like why we, there was really nothing holding us down. Like we miss our friends. We, the kids miss their friends. Like, but at the end of the day, there was, it wasn't like my dream job wasn't there. It, it was just time to go. And the benefit of that is, holy cow, have you seen Florida? I don't, I don't miss it at all. At what point was the don't say gay bill? Yeah, I think that was after we left, maybe. Or, mm, okay. or while we were in the, like, we had made the decision and, you know, started working towards that. In fact, that's the first milestone on the unemployment story. So I, I, when I was working in Florida, I tried to do the right thing. Don't ever do that. Uh, here's, some, here's some practical advice from Sarah. Never trust HR. Mm. HR's business is to protect the company. You need a union, not HR. Okay. So I, my, the boss that I was working with, I had worked with at Disney many years prior. So we knew each other. Like we were friendly and I wouldn't say we were friends. We weren't like hang outside of work people. And so I w did, you know, an honorable and noble thing. And I said, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. I don't have any timeline. There are no dates, but we're going to be moving to Colorado at some point. I'm looking for a job. We don't have a place to live, but it, it's going to be coming. Just wanted to give you that heads up. Don't do that. That was the first mistake. <laughs> so, the, so this guy goes to HR and says, hey, so Sarah said she's probably going to be leaving soon. Can we go ahead and just open up the posting? for that position so that we can get a pool of candidates so that when she does leave, we have our candidates in hand and we can just, it won't take so long to go through the process. Right. I understand where he was coming from in his role was mm -hmm. HR takes 
a month and a half to get someone hired. I want to, I want to do this quicker. So HR heard Sarah's leaving and said, you need to go back to Sarah and get that in writing with an end date. And I said, I can't do that. I don't have a job. I don't have a place to live. There's no timeline, right? I was just trying to be nice. And so the, the end of that story is that HR came back and said that based on the conversations that I had had with my boss and his boss, they were taking that to be my verbal resignation and that my last what? day would be on the 15th. What? How did, I mean. That was it. And that there was no arguing to them. Like they had lawyers involved. There was no, so it was like, oh shit, we got to find a job and a place to live quick. Because at the time I was the only one making any income, right? Becca was taking care of the kids in the house and dealing with all of that. The kids being at home, homeschooling was just, you know, she had to be a teacher too. So that was our only income. And it wouldn't be long before like any savings that we'd had built up was going to be gone paying off the mortgage in, you know, months. We don't have savings. We have kids. (laughs) So we scurried quickly out of the state of Florida and I took a job let, let me stop here to say, like, I interviewed for a lot of jobs, right? So when I talked earlier about the generalists and the specialists, mm-hmm. I I tried three times to go to college, failed at all three. We had three very, you know, uh, love-hate relationships. I went for a music education. I went for um, broadcasting because I was working in radio at the time. And when I left that, I opened my own business doing computer repair and website design and all of that stuff. And so I thought, I'll go back to school for that. And college and I just didn't get along for a lot of reasons. And like one of the biggest ones is, you know, I knew what I wanted. And that didn't involve years of math, right? If I'm going to (laughs) take computers apart and put them back together again and make them work, I really don't need like algebra and physics and shit for that. Like, so there's a, the, I don't feel like our, our education system has gotten its head around this generalist versus specialist thing either. So aren't, you, aren't there like programs that you could go yeah. to that would just focus on that aspect? Yeah. I'm trying to think of what that's called now. It was, um, like a trade school. Yeah. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, those really weren't options when I was going through it though, because I'm so old, mm. you know, so, uh, <laughs> It was, it was, then it was, you go to a four-year school and you get your degree, or if you're maybe lower income, you go to a two-year school first, a community college, and then jump over. But we were taught growing up, you will be a failure in life if you don't have a college education. Oh, absolutely. Preached to us. And, and college was seen as the golden ticket that once you do that, you will be given everything. Set for life. Yeah. 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 And that turned out not to be the case. Like, think of all of the people, you know, who have degrees who are not working in their field of study. Yeah. You want to have a a medical degree to do medical things? Absolutely. You need a law degree to practice law? Sure. Like, there are some really good specialist things that require degree. But I worked at Disney for, God, I don't remember how long it was now, um, a, a decade. And there were these kids that would come through on the college program, you know, doing their hospitality degrees. And I'm like, sweetheart, come work here for six months. You don't need that degree. You'll learn <laughs> it here in the fire, like yeah. within a few months. I remember. Uh, so when I graduated, I uh, went to work in paid 
digital marketing, which I majored in marketing. So that was close enough. But then I went through an entire month and a half of learning. Like we didn't learn about digital marketing, much less like the paid aspect of that. Like I remember being in one of my marketing classes and one of the students raised his hand and talked about what Google AdWords was because, because the teacher didn't know. And that was the closest I got to a conversation that wow. related to my specialty. There yeah. was one time during, during the training, there's one time where I was like the four P's and I knew that. And it was like, cool. Like that. Okay. That played uh, during my training. I got to like brag that I knew one acronym from marketing, but you didn't need to know you didn't need a marketing degree you could right. be a human that kind of thinks through things and knows how to get tasks done and can sit in a training like that my my job does not require a four-year college degree and so many times it, it is okay wait I, now i'm realizing like we're, we're on the like we're talking about employment and we're talking about college those things are to me like very clearly connected but help break mm -hmm. down like why why is that so connected to a discussion about employment or the or unemployment. unemployment right so as an unemployed person there are two forks to this i guess and one of them is like there's a part of me that i don't want to work like <laughs> and and the people are going to feel some type of way about that and that's fine but yeah. like i i want to create meaning in the world right i want to do things that are helpful to society in a way but that doesn't necessarily mean work as we sort of traditionally understand it. In the meantime, the mortgage is due. I need to work. So yeah, I'm like yeah. out, you know, trying to become gainfully employed again. And the, the most recent and the one that I would, it's kind of hanging out there in the air that I would really like. And this is the most, in, I don't know, unusual job hiring experience I may have ever had. Uh, it's for a job that I am like, if I were in their position, I would go, Sarah, you're not highly qualified for this position. We can find someone who comes in the door with this knowledge. Uh, yeah. So I'm up in my head about that kind of stuff. And it is, mm. it is a lot of kind of what you were just saying about, like, if you're familiar with digital organizer as a, as a function of like the nonprofit world. So when you get those emails that say, there's some issue happening in your state. Click here to tell your lawmaker how they should, you know, how you think as a secular constituent, you should vote for this or that. They're the ones that really kind of put together those campaigns and, and manage the digital assets and all of that stuff. And while I probably have the individual skill set to do each of those things, when I received the skills test for this position, I was like, shut me down for 48 hours overwhelmed by it. Because it used all of this jargon and industry buzzword stuff that I wasn't trained into. So I'm like, God, I don't know if this is for me. Like, it, can I do this? And and I feel a lot of that comes from not being formally educated in a thing. I feel like I missed that because I didn't go through the, you know, the system and jump through the hoops. So it just, it makes finding work hard when you're unemployed and, you know, could I go get a job at, uh, you know, Target, shocking stocking sure. shelves or whatever? Yes, I could. Probably not for the pay that I'm, I need and that I, you know, Disney trained me as a people leader. So when I think of like what my bread and butter is, what, where, my, where my training lies is being a people leader. And that translates to all different kinds of work environments, but you have to have the Disney mindset of like, 
you can take a good leader and teach them how to do the janitorial stuff. But you can't necessarily take a good janitor and make them into a good custodial leader, right? You you reminded me of like my journey. You mentioned like you can, a lot of unemployed people could take jobs in, you know, generally in the service field that are unrelated to their specialty or what have you. My, I, um, I've been unemployed a couple times in my life, sometimes because I was laid off, sometimes because I quit. Um, I quit basically due to having really bad mental health. I ended up quitting my job in, um, December, 2019. And I thought I was going to take a couple months off. And then right around March, 2020 pandemic, I, no way I'm going to find a job now. So that was like, I, I mean, I know this pandemic is a surprise to anyone, but my, I did, I, there's, I, I thought give, I work in Seattle in like in tech, like yeah. there's going to be tech jobs. All There's always going to be tech jobs, whether it's the level I want or the pay I want, whatever, there's always going to be jobs. So that was a huge surprise. So I did not work during the pandemic. And then finally, when I did get a job, it was vaguely related to my field, but literally less than half the pay that I was used to. Yeah. And, and, you know, we always say, Oh, you can always do that. Like one of the downsides is like, when I go to a job, when I'm applying to a job and what salary are you expecting? So much of it is based on what was your previous experience? Right. Like, am I l limiting my future earnings by taking a lower paying job? And so much of this is like, I, I think people have such a narrow scope of like, like you're describing, what are the skills you need or how do we base your compensation or, or like so much of it is based on these rules that we have, if you look back in the last year of my life and say, what have you earned or your last job, what have you earned? So that's your expectation. It'd be like, no, like, mm -hmm. let's look back two years. Like the, the job I got during the pandemic was just, I needed something. So let's look back two years and realize that I actually do have far more of the skills than, than you realize. And, and uh, we, we just have a lot of really specific calculated rules in corporate America that, doesn't always make sense. Yeah. Well, when we moved out here to Colorado, I took a job that was in my wheelhouse, but it was a step down and a pay cut. And I knew that going in, but we were moving across the country and these assholes fired me, basically, essentially pushed me out. These assholes pushed me out, right? So I had to have something to get us mm -hmm. out here. And that was our something to get us out here job. And then thankfully, mm -hmm. you know, Becca got a job with the American Humanist Association which is great. And she's doing a phenomenal job with that. And so we were okay with that pay cut. And then I think I thought things were going to work out a whole lot better than they ended up working out. Right. I thought, mm -hmm. Oh, it's a step down and a pay cut, but I can handle that. And as yeah. it turns out, like the person that they hired to oversee me had a lot less experience and mm -hmm. looked at uh, the management position as a, dictatorial one of I'm the mm. boss and I tell you what to do and you go do it. And that's how we do this. And I come from egalitarian land where like mm -hmm. it takes all of us to make this thing happen. And we all have different titles and we make different money, but one of us is gone. It doesn't work. You know, we all have to, we're, we're all kind of valued from a leadership perspective together. And I led the team below me that way. And then that created a lot of conflict between my boss and I, as we had very different leadership styles of the team below us and the team liked mine better. 
<laughs> so that caused a lot of conflict and uh and it it just it fizzled to a point where like my mental health was so bad I, I just I didn't want to go into this place again. I don't I don't want to get up and have to go in and deal with this drama, this nonsense again. It could be a great place to work. It could have been and probably still could be. Something that that is jumping to mind, especially in this, is there are a lot of people that would say a lot of us don't want to go into work. That's just what you have to deal with. A lot of people have to deal with drama at work, and that's just what you have to deal with. If you, if you need money, you got to put up with that. And as I, what do you do, my dad in 1954 or something? Because that's what that sounds like to me. Sarah, I have a cigar. Sarah and a whiskey somehow doing both the same thing. Sarah, here's what I think. You like, get a job at a fact. This is what my parents did. My dad got a job at a factory and retired from that factory job many decades later. It's wow. not like that anymore. And no. so this like suck it up mentality, I'm sorry, I'm just not there for that. And isn't it, I mean, you, you, you talked about your mental health taking a hit and like, isn't that so sad that we're like, that that's the expectation, like the, sacrifice your mental you're health. Happy. You just have to be employed oh, yeah. and that's what's important. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I was to the point like the, the, when I say I quit my job because of mental health, I could not get myself out of bed. This is not a general, I don't want to, but I kind of have to force myself because we all have to work to make money. Right. This is a, I'm struggling to get up. I'm struggling to take a shower. I'm struggling to attend a meeting yeah. because I am so non-functional and that then spot like, and then, so I, I did poorly at my job. I quit. It it was, it was I don't know. I was going to say better for me to quit and not have the added burden of mm -hmm. failing at a job. But then I, I continued this depression spiral that, that was really bad. And it's, I don't know if it's because of work, but that was work was a huge cause of that. I, I think we so easily dismiss mental health challenges as that's just what happens when you work. And that's so gross <laughs> well and even just to care about each other's mental health or our own mental health is sadly such a new thing in like the great timeline of the cosmos or whatever right like again when i talk yeah. about my parents era that's just what it was you get a job you have to do it whether you like it or not who gives a shit you have to do it yeah. i'd like yeah. to see us yeah. get to the point where like we care about each other's happiness too yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want. Uh, speaking of your happiness at, at, at work, I want to hear a little bit more about. Uh, you did say you like you. You haven't faced kind of the discrimination that you think other people have had. So, uh, tell me more about what it is like to walk into an office or an interview, uh, being visibly trans. Yeah, I mean, you carry so much into that room with you, despite not having experienced it firsthand. I should say I do. Um, so I have interviewed. For a couple of things since I since I walked from that last job, um, one of them was a store manager position for a sporting goods store. And again, despite having no skill, this is one of those examples of like, well, this might have worked out, except they weren't going to pay me enough um, where I have no. Hi, I'm Sarah. Sports ball. Like, what the hell do I know <laughs> yes. about sporting goods? Right. So, but you walk into a room of you know, it's a sporting goods store. Am I going to get, you know, the good old boy guy that works at the gun counter? Yeah. 
That's what I, I had in my mind. Like, oh, yeah. shit. I don't know how this is going to work. Um, yeah. But also, I will say that like Colorado seems to be a pretty progressive place, uh, unless you go too far east and then you know, you're know you in the fields. But uh, the Denver area, even up in the mountains, very you know there's a lot of progressive. When I worked for the Denver Zoo, on my first day, one of my staff members came and did orientation with me together. And... They are non-binary and introduce themselves as such with they, them pronouns in the, you know, the welcome to the zoo class or whatever they make you do. Um, And then we were walking around the campus and I saw all kinds of diversity. And I was just like, oh, my God, these are my people. (laughs) And everything was great with the exception of the management problems. But it seems like there are a lot more visibly open trans people here than I have experienced in a workplace before. And I think part of that is like because Disney has such strict rules on how you can look. I think that plays that, a big role into it. Like all the colorful hair that I've got going on, you can't have that at Disney. At the hmm. zoo, it was fine, right? So you can kind of spot your people a little easier too, because we're you know <laughs> we're, we're brightly colored. One girl, yeah. <laughs> one girl had a um, had a trans flag uh, butterfly in her hair, and I was like, oh my god, these oh. are these are my people out here. This is great. Yeah. So. That gives you a little confidence walking into the next place going, yeah. you know, hey, I'm here to apply for a job. And But, yeah, you just don't know who you're going to bump into and what kind of crap they're bringing with them to the interview. I I mean, I, I know you mentioned some of the feelings of guilt around not having some of these experiences or so it's it's interesting with I, I, I think having a positive experience like the one you just described where you can walk into a room and there can be lots of other trans or non-binary people around progressive people, people that will openly accept you. Like we, we also don't want to walk around and say life is all bad for trans people. Right. Sorry. And then leave like th- there are great experiences and good moments that, that I think are important to showcase. So I, I appreciate hearing some of the positive things as well. I think there's value in that. No, there's definitely value in that. Like I say often when I was a kid going through this, Right. It was like the 90s and Jerry Springer was where you saw trans people. (laughs) Right. And it was I didn't know my wife was a man or whatever. Like it was not a positive projection of gender diverse people. And so, yes, we need to have those positive examples. I will say also my exploration of gender clothing and even gender identity has all happened since COVID, mm-hmm. um, I have gotten w- when I have depression. When I when I had particularly bad depression, or most of my life, I've not thought about any of this stuff because depression took up so much room in my brain. So getting treatment for some of the things I did opened up me to. Explore. I still explore and work on depression and anxiety, but it opened up room in my brain to explore other things, the, which is great. The downside is all of this has been happening with re- during the pandemic with remote work. Or not having a job. So as things, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're saying trends are there's less remote jobs, like people may be starting to require more in the office or like, I, th- I don't know where thing, how things are going to even out. I have not explored any of this in the context of a workplace setting. So it is terrifying. And I'm in, mm-hmm. in the early stages where I could very easily just wipe everything and show up like I used to show up and, and things might actually be okay. Cause that's what I'm used to. Yeah. And it, but it also feels like taking so many steps back in this process that I've been on. Yeah. It can be very scary for sure. And especially like 
when so much rides on employment, right? Like it's not yeah. just the mortgage and eating so that you don't die. Like we, so my wife works for a national nonprofit now and they are based in DC. So their insurance policies are DC based, which means if you're a remote worker, not in DC, none of your doctors are in network because mm, yeah. it's a DC policy. So like, we took it for a year and it had like an insane, like $13,000 deductible. And, uh, it was just, it was the worst part. Her, her medications like went up six times what we were paying for it. One of them was free and they ended up wanting her to pay like $300 for it. We had been not paying for it under insurance. So we finally like are canceling her through the job group policy and purchasing insurance from the healthcare.gov, whatever network it's different for Colorado has its own state level um, marketplace, but like never thought I'd be doing that. But because insurance is so typically tied to employment and we're in a position where we don't have that, this is, this is what we have to do. It's where we're at. I uh, absolutely during my work during the pandemic, this is also when I was getting high cost treatment for depression that my insurance it was a shitty contract job it was it was fine uh, hi mark you're okay um <laughs> it 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 was just i got no it was not none of my treatments are covered this is where i come from a very privileged place where then i paid for it out of pocket yeah. and and yeah. they charged me much less than they would have charged insurance because i was doing that they knew so it 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 worked that i could get this treatment like being depressed is very expensive mm -hmm. and unfortunately not having a job can be one of the ways that depression manifests. And so it's there, you, you are right. There's so much tied to employment that has nothing that doesn't even have to do with making money and, and eating food. No. I, I think about going on dates. Like uh, what am I going to sit down? This is some, one of my personal insecurities. Like when I sit down and go on a date and they're like, Hey, what do you do? And I have to be like, what's my answer to that? Like, I don't. And I actually want to, um, during Patreon, we are going to talk about, what is the phrase? I have it right here. Everyone is fine. Hold on. Let's get uh, productivity guilt, um, where we'll talk more about <laughs> some of the guilt associated with not being productive. Yeah. Uh, so uh, unemployment, any any final words, any parting thoughts before we take a break? I, I don't know. I feel like... <sighs> In a lot of the topics that we've talked about from this up to the news, like so much of what's happening in our country, in our in our culture specifically, I feel like comes back to a compassion problem. Like compassion and empathy is a thing that we are just not doing real well right now. And so when you think about people who are unemployed, I think we can all approach that, approach those people with a whole lot more compassion and empathy and understanding than you know, than we previously do where we detach the person from the problem. And, you know, well, you just, there's lots of jobs out there. The McDonald's down the street is never has full staff. You go take that job, right? Like, okay, but there's a person in there too. And like, we should care about the person. And yeah. there's probably a lot more going on to whatever that scenario is than you're yeah. going to be aware of. And, and I just, I think we need to just be gracious with people. You know? I I I've, I don't even like that I'm bringing this up. I think about when people celebrated the fact that Trump said, I use every legal 
loophole or advantage yeah. to my benefit and people cheered yeah. at that people are so excited but when a person is unemployed and use the available legal advantage of a, even applying for unemployment mm-hmm. or now getting health care we demean those people and it's often the right it's often the republicans the same people that celebrate it for trump will shit on people that that do the same thing on an individual level and right. i think they're such cognitive dissonance that exists that that i agree i think coming from a place of compassion coming from a place of there's a human behind that who uh, yeah that that would help so many of our issues today and and like i mentioned before you know our love of hard work right we also love this idea of rugged individualism and that's Mm -hmm. horseshit too like i'd like i'd love to see us move to a more collective sort of mindset Again, where like people are valued because they're people, period, the end. Can we yeah. can we work towards that? Collective humanist compassion or some yeah. something like that would be. Yeah. I love that. Um, well let's let's talk. Let's take a break and we'll talk about productivity. Let's guilt. take a break. Let's take a break. <laughs> this is the part where Sarah Kyle take a break. Are you, do you need anything? Are you ready to just come back? I'm good. Okay. So are we back? We're back. We're back. We are going to do our gayest and straightest. But first, thank you so much, Sarah, for being on, for for stepping in for Mike. You did an amazing job. Uh, Where can people learn more about you? Uh, You can find uh, all of my projects at callmesarah.com. That's kind of my main website. It has all my things on it. You can check out uh, Sarah Talk is one of the podcasts that I do. At saratalk.com and at saratalk or at saratalk podcast or something on all the socials. We're still not consistently back with that yet since the move, but we're getting there. And then the new show that I've got going on with my friend Ali Ashmead from Go Humanity uh, is called Humanist Trek. And that's at humanisttrek.com and at or slash humanist trek on all the things. And we watch an episode of Star Trek each week and then talk about the sort of humanist topics and implications that Gene Roddenberry baked into the series, like from jump, he was telling stories through the lens of humanism. And so it's great because if you're a Star Trek fan, Mike, you'll, you'll find something there. (laughs) If you're not a Star Trek fan, we're talking about uh, themes of this humanist idea of taking care of each other and you know there's no one looking out for us so we we have to be there for each other and yeah telling those stories through the lens of sci-fi uh is one of the best ways that we sneak those those stories in gene was talking about like race and all war all kinds of issues that were going on present day through the lens of you know green aliens on a faraway planet so sci-fi has always been a good vessel to to tell those stories and, and star trek's kind of my fave it absolutely makes sense that those things are connected and i'm so glad that you're doing that the humanist trek is the podcast to listen to right after this one well you can find us at gayishpodcast.com boy i have to do all of this okay uh i have our... my lines ready to go shut the fuck up are you see okay okay our website is gayishpodcast.com. You are continuing to blow me away. Okay, we are on a bunch of socials at Gayish Podcast, or you can join our communities on Discord, Spaces, or Facebook groups. 
Our hotline, you can send Mike and Kyle dick pics and gayish fanfic to 585-5-GAYISH. That's 585-542-9474. Standard rate supply. Nailed it. Um, Our email is gayishpodcast at gmail.com. And our physical mailing address is post office box 19882, Seattle, Washington, 98109. Mike, you uh, did you just lose your job, Mike? I, do I might like Sarah better than you? So uh, my, my, I'm we'll we'll open up the position to both internal and external applicants. So Mike, you can reapply for your role if you want to. I'll, con- I'll consider your experience strongly when I make my final decision. Um, uh, thank you, Sarah. Um, we are going to do our games and straightest. Uh, Sarah, would you like to go first? Sure. So, actually, I have three. I'm going to give you a gayest, the straightest, and the transest. <gasps> Please do that. So, uh, I have been winterizing our house. And uh, moving from Florida up to the north, like, this is not a thing we had to do in Florida because it never got that cold. But so now I'm doing all these, like, handy man around the house crap, like, closing up the air conditioning <laughs> and taking all the screens out and blowing out the sprinklers. And that stuff feels very straight to me. <laughs> yep yep uh my gayest is i have pro- we are those people that take down halloween on the 31st and put up christmas on november 1st <laughs> don't be a hater let people enjoy things um so but we have probably spent god i've probably spent like 500 dollars at michael's already just on <laughs> just on christmas decorations and i like it's a brand new house we have to start all over so i had to make all the wreaths and climb out on the roof and hang them all up and get them all perfect. And we have these, uh, we've been crafting a lot, right? So we made these giant bells that hang under the lights on our garage. So I've been doing lots of Michael shopping and crafting. That seems like the gayest thing someone can. For sure. And then my transist, as you may know, I was rear-ended by a semi uh, on my way to work at the zoo one day and my Jeep gladiator was totaled. So now we're down to one Jeep and I feel some type of way about that too. Like this is the first time since 1994 that I haven't had like my Jeep. Oh, wow. Anyway, this one has been needing service for a really, really, really long time. Like all the lights on the dash were on, right? Like it needed an oil change and there was a tire, the pressure was low and uh, the brakes were really bad, so I sent my wife to take care of it. <laughs> uh, just avoiding stereotypic, stereotypically mask places, right? Like the mechanic oh shop gosh. seems pretty trans femme to me. Like I, <laughs> you, I don't want to go sit at the repair shop for two hours while they do all this work. No, thank you. So I sent I sent Becca to do it. Uh, first, I love that. And I, uh, but I, I was also going to add, I think the transest thing you've done maybe in your lifetime is when you described that you uh, were pursuing learning on your own computer programming. <laughs> yeah. don't trans, isn't that a trans woman stereotype? Like, and, don't. And probably that I love Star Trek. Yeah. And yeah, those two yeah. Are probably yeah. Leave <laughs> um, me away. What, <laughs> um, well, I, okay. Then I will do my gayest, straightest, and transest. My straightest is I know I've been using, uh, doing stuff around my home and and like putting uh, assembling things as my straightest for a while and i'm gonna keep doing that because it uh, it escalated when i had a friend over i got a bunch of beer and and i got grease on my hands from doing something so the fact that there was like grease on my hands like no i'm gonna need to use this again because it continues to outstraight itself my gayest it's actually my lesbianist is (laughs) that i went 
I went to Home Depot to buy the items needed to get, to achieve said home project. <laughs> my transist is I've been growing out my hair, I and heard so about my. This. My goal is longer hair, and I don't know how long, but much longer. And so for the first time in my life, I've been having to figure out things like hair clips and and hair ties. And I don't have them figured out the first time I tried to use a hair clip. I I put it the wrong way and tried to clip it, and it went up. And I was like, wait. (laughs) So I had to flip it around. Uh, The the, uh, exploration of how to do hair long good is is baffling me and uh i thought my transist yeah that's a thing i think a lot of us trans women go through like uh, particularly if you're not you know if, if you you're transitioned later in life right like i was socialized as a boy so yeah i don't couldn't sit around and braid each other's hair or like put yeah. on makeup or whatever like i didn't get to go through that that awkward teenage time period where you get to explore and experiment with that stuff and i remember being in elementary and i asked the girl if i could braid her hair and she said no <gasps> um i know that's okay um i <laughs> i'm gonna that bitch that bitch that third grade bitch um <laughs> listeners uh if you don't know every week uh derek our production assistant posts to instagram to ask for your gayest and straightest and then he posts some of the best answers so uh, follow us on instagram but i grabbed two of my favorites so these straightest and these are great because they're just they're they're just right to the point of what they are the straightest devouring ribs for dinner yep yeah uh-huh yeah Yep. Uh, gayest. I love this one so much. Cock ring all day. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So <laughs> nailed it in four words or less. Uh, both of those. So thank you to our listeners. Thank you much to Sarah for not only joining, but for, for co-hosting and for stepping into Mike's position in a way that has me rethinking just who <laughs> hosts this podcast in general. So thank you for being here. And thanks for leaving, Mike. Happy birthday. I do Happy miss birthday, you. Mike. And I give Mike plenty of crap for flying literally everywhere in the world except to Colorado to visit me. So <laughs> he kind of has that, this coming. Yeah. yeah oh, absolutely. Um, I also want to thank our Super Gap Bridgers, our patrons at the highest level that have been that for a year or more. Thank you to Christopher Moontine, John Crowley, Stephen Porcio, Stosel, Harry Stodd, jo- Shaw, Josh Copeland, sorry, Jonathan Montanus, Forrest Nail, Patrick Martin, James Barrow, Steve Douglas, Explosive Lasagna, Just Jamie, Kevin Henderson, Thomas B. Dusty Sands, Chris Cachatorians, and Jerome York. So from the Chris Cachatorian studio, that is it. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. Oh, Mike's going to be back next week. (laughs) Kyle, put that earlier in the episode. Mike will be back. It's going to be great. He's going to be home and it's going to be great.